Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. This episode is with Ollie Brown. Oh, man, I really enjoyed that. Followed Ollie for years, uh, especially with Raven. I oh, Such a great conversation that was, dude. Yeah, man. A really, really humble, nice guy, considering what he's done since a teenager, 16. Won't say too much, got to listen to the podcast, but where he's been, who he's gigged with, the career he had at a very young age, and um, he seems to have got his head screwed on. He knows the, the music industry and um, some some wicked stories, and I, I wish him nothing but love and success with his new project because he deserves it, man. Completely concur with everything you just said. Uh, quick one for the listeners. We are back now. This is the Crowcast podcast. Um, it has been a while. It's been a couple of months, Shane. We did say during this episode, because um, we did come back via YouTube last week, because uh, obviously I think we left you all, um, which our last interview, would that have been with Emma Scott, possibly? Um, not sure now. That's probably one for somebody to get back to us on. Yeah. But um, we, we were meant to have, I remember Pete Bailey lined up, and obviously we... Uh, we had a couple of months off. We've been recording album three. Um, so, yes, we came back visually last week. It's available on YouTube. That would have been episode 86 on YouTube. Um, and it was just nice to be back this week with a guest, Ollie Brown. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. Should we get into it? Here we go. Strap in. This is Crowcast Podcast. <laughs> possibly have our first guest back let's do it for season two ladies and gentlemen please welcome the super talented mr ollie brown Hey, hey, Ollie Brown, how hey. are we, sir? <laughs> How's it going? Very good, thank you, but how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Man, thank you so much for joining us tonight, brother. Thanks for having me. It's wicked to be on it after seeing them for like lockdown and like, I mean, seeing how like how much fancy this podcast is getting with all the extra things going on as well, like fair play. <laughs> ah, thanks, that means a lot. It's a lot of hard work, dude, do you know what I mean? It's like... And we're, you know, having that big break as well and, and doing the third album and stuff, like we were just saying, and coming back to it is a bit of like getting your head around it all, but uh, we'll get there now. We'll get there, <laughs> bud. But uh, you've been busy, bud, I hear. Yeah, yeah, very, very busy. Like, it, but spent most of my time in the studio at the moment. Um, and then, obviously, the new announcement of the uh, new band, The Dead Collective, which has kind of been in the sidelines for a, a while and trying to figure out when I should really announce it and put it all forward. But I don't know whether it... The kind of it feels like the doors are beginning to open now. I can start talking about it. Yeah, yeah, because you haven't done any shows yet. Your first one is the Steelers Away Day. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, those guys have been amazing for my career from like way back in the blues days as well. Like the Steelhouse crew are just wicked. And um, I spoke to them at Rockstock, actually, um, where you guys were playing that yeah. um, day. They came so because I was selling uh, jewelry at that point, I was doing something else then. and they came over and they had a few of the tracks and said so they wanted to put me on the festival and they were one of the first few years to hear it and they were just so kind. So it's, I don't know, it's wicked to be doing the first actual outing of the Dead Collective, the band show on April the 8th with them. It's going to be yeah, awesome. Amazing, bud. So when was the last show you did? Like live, oh, whether it be with Raging <laughs> Yeah, actually, poetically, actually, it was Steelhouse last year yeah. with Raven Eye, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was gutted about that all because we were we were driving up to Bradford at the time, That's Shane, because right. yeah. um, we, oh, I can't remember why. There was yet again, it was that weird time of COVID where you didn't know, sometimes you didn't know if a gig was going to be on last minute um, because we were driving to Bradford. It was the night train and it sold out. But yet again, things were still unsure of if somebody yeah. tested positive, especially like at the venue, et cetera, the gig could have been off. So we were kind of half thinking we'd swing back around and catch you guys. 
um, on the Friday <laughs> if that was the case. Like, but uh, yeah, it was just getting because it was a clash because we were open to see yourselves, and um, I think Phil headlined as well, didn't he, Phil? Phil Campbell. Yes. Um, yeah, they killed it. How did that feel, man? Because obviously, so long out the out of the game due to due to COVID, etc. That would that would be playing <laughs> like. I think I realized how how unfit I became in COVID when I'm like trying to sing and I'm like I'm out of breath right now. <laughs> Couldn't <I'm> believe it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, your pain, it, man. It was tough. Yeah, me. yeah. Like I mean, wicked. Like I love being on stage is my home. Really, I feel like. I don't know, I feel like that's where I belong, but like in terms of fitness, like there's one point where I'm like jumping off a kit and I'm like holding my breath. I'm like, I can't sing this. Like I'll just kind of play this off. Like I'm just being casual. Like oh, I'll sing this one lower than I usually sing it because I'm meaning to, but I was struggling. Like half of that gig, I'm like, I need to stand still for a minute and like breathe in. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's happened to us um, two weeks ago when we, we hadn't done a few shows and um, we were in the tram shed and I, I'm sure I stopped the show and said, are these songs quicker? because <laughs> it, it just felt i felt so out of breath um but it, yeah it's, it's match fitness isn't it you know um yeah you realize yeah. how like on how fit and how on point you are when you're actually regularly touring and you just everything feels a breeze you're like oh yeah i can do this and then you take i mean it's like an obscene amount of time off the road isn't it for for all of us and you yeah. go back to it and you're like oh actually i was i should give myself more credit i was <laughs> i was in good shape then yeah yeah <laughs> So, but let's go back to the start then. So, like, when was the first time you picked up the the guitar and stuff? When what was or what was the first band you saw and thought I want to do that? It was, um, it, I think it was a Hendrix actually. It was like an Audi advert when they had like, um, I can't remember the Hendrix song now. And it came on, and I was like, okay, I really want to pick up guitar and learn it because my dad played it always. Nice and and buy an Audi at the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One was more expensive than the other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so it was that and i just yeah i just picked it up and I, I i just fell in love with it i think it was one of those things that i really connected with i didn't really connect much at school i think at that point in time i was still kind of figuring out like i really wanted to be good at drawing but i'm absolutely shit i just i'm awful at it for the most part so like i was trying to figure out other ways of you know creating art and then guitar kind of fell in my lap and i just i don't know it all kind of made sense to me so how old are we talking here 12 12 yeah oh man so did you have lessons or was it just a case of picking it up and instantly got it or yeah i had i had lessons for a, for a period of time and then i kind of just started using logic pro to take all the guitar solos that i loved and i would just stretch them all out and slow them all down and try and learn them note for note so i could just teach myself more than because i think i got impatient with waiting every week because i'd learn it and i'm like okay i kind of want to do something else and then i kind of started taking it onto my own and just learning for myself and just digging in deeper with learning all my favorite guitarists really awesome what was what was your first guitar bro it was a yamaha pacifica in glittery silver <laughs> nice yeah fancy always <laughs> <laughs> so was it more guitarists you kind of resonated with or was it was it bands as well like like for us it was the the seattle scene that was kind of like that that was the one that made us want to get into a band like you know so or was it for you yeah. just just guitars and you just went deep into that or at that point yeah it was just guitarists like I, I really fell in love with hendrix and got obsessed with him i feel i get very obsessive over things for very like and it's intense at that time so i'll just focus on everything hendrix and then i went to steve ray vaughan and i i think really the first band that made me fall in love with rock big time was audio slave and like hearing chris cornell sing Cochise the first time and I was like what's happening to my ears oh, yes. <laughs> and that's when I started digging more into the the grunge scene and um specifically more so Soundgarden and Super Unknown is just like there's another world for me that record is just the holy grail of music for me so I they kind of Chris Cornell kind of opened up that door for me to really start enjoying rock more but at that point when I was learning I, I wasn't into singing or anything I didn't want to sing so I just wanted to learn guitar solos and just play solos all day. Yeah. So what was it then kind of like getting to bands when you were in, how old were you when you got in your first band? Sorry. Probably like, I, probably 16, 16. I did like a school band, but yeah. um, at, at that point I was kind of, I don't know. At that point, blue, I was playing blues a lot more. So not many people were into blues around my age. So I got really lucky with an American band called blind dog smoking. And they actually, 
when I was 16, I got um, to tour with them for two months in America doing like proper dirty blues bars, really rough <laughs> places and in a rickety bus that it should not have been on the road. And, and they kind of taught me everything. And it was humbling and incredible. And they're the ones that kind of helped me like be a, more of a performer than a soloist. And they taught me a lot about the live side of music and, you know, sleeping in people's floors and roughing it in a really fun way. And at 16, I'm like, everything, this is all just amazing. Wow. <laughs> and, so did you go out there by yourself for them? Yeah. Yeah, I did. My, my parents knew them. Like the guy talked to my dad a lot throughout a year, kind of, kind of updating him, my progress. I was a guitarist. And then he just said, look, you know, would like to take Ollie out and give him an experience to kind of introduce him to live music and educate him a bit more about being a performer. And I mean, what they did for me as an artist, like, I can't ever thank them enough. They completely just schooled me every night. They'd watch, they'd be like talking to me after the show, telling me what I need to improve on, what I need to develop on. And they were, they were hard, but they just pushed me to, you know, take it a lot more seriously and step up my game. And it was mind blowing. Wow. One experience, 16. That's amazing, yeah. dude. <laughs> it, it was, and they did, They wouldn't tell the clubs at the time because you're not meant to be in the bars, so you're 21 and above. So it, it, fair play to the guy. He's got just like the golden tongue, like he would schmooze the owners, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, he's fine. He can come in. And, you know, and so we got away with it, but it was, yeah, it was just mind-blowing. Wow. That's incredible. You couldn't pay for that. Do you know what I mean? That's... I'm just thinking back to when we started and obviously we always talk about jam nights and stuff, um, which we learned quite a lot from jam nights because you're just playing with different various people, especially the, the, the ones that just go, Oh, you can play. And they just assume, you know, the song and you really have to keep up with them or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you were, you were doing the full, you know what I mean? You'd, you'd left, you'd gone to America. Like, yeah. That's incredible. Like, you know, and, and proper hustling as well at 16, you know, like like doing what we probably did when we got to 18, 21, where you are kipping on the floors and doing the rough van, van tours and stuff. But you're doing that across the state to 16 and plus, plus learning off that, that experience, man, being poured onto you. That's incredible, dude. Yeah, it was, I mean, uh, honestly, I, I can't, like, it, it was incredible. And I, luckily, the smart 16 year old in me made diary of the whole thing. So I've got like a written journal of every day of that experience and that trip. And uh, it's, yeah, I, I didn't take it for granted. And I, I just, it was surreal at the time. And I think I didn't realize like how much I was really learning until like later on you go shit. Like there was so much being given to me at that point in time. And it was, yeah, it was just a, such a surreal experience. And it was in the center of America. It's like Wyoming, Oklahoma, Nebraska, kansas and it was just it was mental and the, the and it was peak summer with a completely dilapidated bus with no air conditioning so we all were just sat with the windows wide <laughs> open just perforating <laughs> so at 16 was there any moment can you remember when we were like i don't know if this is maybe maybe I got it wrong. maybe i got this shit wrong like <laughs> it probably uh, the main thing was is security when you go through this border patrols like when you get in like you fly into america and you land and they ask you all the questions what you're doing like and they always make you feel guilty i'm like i'm not doing anything <laughs> like, i don't understand what i've done wrong I'm, and they just they're just great at intimidating the shit out of you and uh yeah so i think that was the only thing where i was like i'm maybe i want to go home yeah that's amazing but and what then an what, apprenticeship. What did, yeah, so I was going to say, what did you do then? Did you come back home? And then obviously, I mean, fuck, joining bands around you would have been a lot different. <laughs> do you know what I mean? As a, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, do you do a bit of guitaring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just come back from the States, man. <laughs> it's like, fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? But was that the case? I mean, was it come over you and like start a new project with an incredible head on of how, it, how the vision needed to be, I suppose? Yeah, or the the Carl Gustafsson, the lead singer of the band I was with, Blind Dog Smoking. It was Carl Gustafsson and Roland Pritzker. They both, we went to this little corner shop cafe and they both sat me down and gave me a really serious talk about my career. And they said, you know, as a player, as you are right now, you need to learn to sing and you need to front your own band. Don't, don't be committed. I think especially with the blues scene at that point, it's more about, you know, the guitarist being the feature and it's guitarist name and, 
they were very protective about me taking care of myself. So yeah. it was a really intense conversations, but they, they gave me an experience to go to recording studio and put a couple of songs down and said, right, you have to write two songs. We're not going to help you. You have to sing them and then you can take this home. And I think they kind of planted the seed for me to want to find my own band. So at that point, actually, same thing. Like I went to jam nights and found players that I could, you know, work with and that I had, you know, that had a good sound. And I found two players that were killer and just said about what I'm starting to do. And my dad was super hungry about booking gigs. So he had me out as much as possible, trying to travel as much of the UK to, you know, book gigs. And, you know, I was incredibly lucky with that to get the support from him to just put me in front of as many people as possible. Yes, so, it sounds it, man. I think that's important, especially if you get the support from the family, um, yeah. rather than people kind of trying to sway you off off that path, like, you know, which we've seen all our lives, like, you know. So, sorry, Shane, go on, buddy. No, I was just saying, so in 2008, how old were you in 2008? I, I read I that in 2008, yeah. you were signed to the German Blues label. Yeah, probably about 18, how, 17, how, I'm trying to think now. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, so how how did that you're old <laughs> shit I, yeah and we're a lot Very older well. than you so that makes us feel fucking awesome, <laughs> you're a record dealer ain't uh, you? what the... uh, yeah um it was with a record label called Tom, uh, roof records um the same thing my dad really kind of he he was really hungry about keeping me keep my name present towards people so we would give them updates and then thomas roof was kind of said like, as he wanted to see me having a lot of gigs. So the main thing is my dad booked as many gigs as possible. So it's like, right, we're super busy. Mm. And then Thomas Roof came down to see a show and sort of check out the band just to see if it, it was worth investing in and worth putting his time into. And so I had on that gig, it was at the blue, it's like a place called the blueberry in Norwich. And he came down with a guitarist called Enzi Lister and they both sat down and made notes about, um, the songs I wrote and if they thought it was worth putting time into. And um, from that, he he took me on and, you know, put together, you know, a, a tour with this thing called Blue Caravan, which is kind of his own package tour for his artists that does really well through Europe. And he's kind of got used to rolling it out every year. And it it brought a lot of opportunities. It was a, a it was wicked. I think at that time, I think, I think I got, but I very lucky the opportunities and I think I started to, I think cause it was coming and I was getting help from other people. I think now in hindsight, I wish I took more personal control of it than I think letting people have so many opinions at the time. I think at that point I was just grateful for everything, which you should be. But I think I just stopped kind of making sure that I'm doing what's right for me and making sure that I'm taking care of myself as well. And I think over the years as that kind of grew it was great and the experiences were amazing, but I definitely by the end of it, I realized I was like, ah, oh, I've, I've been more malleable than I probably should have been. So how long ago was that realization? Um, probably about, I think five years into it. So I moved to Toronto um, when I was about 22, I moved away and kind of hit the etch a sketch and just like, right. Okay. I can't, I need yeah. to like, rewrite my team, refocus everything and make sure I'm taking care of me. So I kind of stepped away for about a year, a year or so and just wrote new songs and wrote a whole new vibe and just tried to get myself out of that headspace. Wow. Shit, man. You've done more than <laughs> you've done more than I have. And well, before you got to 18. <laughs> That's amazing. No, but it's just, um, you know, going away on tour at a young age and, and realizing that's what you want to do. And, and then, you're still growing up, anyway. You're trying to take in everything you're experiencing. Is it right? And and that's that's that sounds like a really full life already, dude. And 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 you've still got <laughs> so much to fucking offer and, and give. And because I, I, you know, we can talk about Raven Eye, but I, I mean, we're really lucky. And perhaps I'm jumping again, yeah. But we, you sent us here the album, the new album. Man, I, I'm saying it right now. Hands up, it is killer. It is absolutely oh. sensational, bro. And, you know, those influences you were talking about earlier, you can hear it all over it. And um, Chris Cornell in particular, 
<laughs> I, 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 want, I really want to get into it, but obviously you haven't you haven't released any of the, the album names, that you know, any of that. So, uh, sorry, the song titles. So we can't really talk about it. But I just need you to know, dude, um, how good it is, and you taking that time, whatever you needed, and where you've been. It's all going to be worth it. That's what I'm going to say <laughs> because what you've created is class, real class, bro. And um, sincere, sincerely, now that like you could tell, it's you. Do you know what I mean? It's you. It's it's not all um, Raven Eye or a band. It's, you could tell it's you, dude. It's personal. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like. I can't thank you enough. Like, I mean, you guys are, I said like some of the first ears to actually hear the whole, whole record. Yeah. And I think when you reached out about wanting to interview her, I, you have no idea how much it meant at the time when you reached out, it was a really weird day. And then he messaged like, fuck, there's something in the universe. Sorry. I don't know if I should be really swearing too much. Yeah. 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 So, I was so grateful. And then I was like, fuck it, you know, I'm going to send you guys a record and just kind of give you the vibe of it. And I mean, that's, that's really why, you know, the whole, the way the band name that a collective came from as well. Like it is, it's a really personal record. It does feel a bit more of a personal journal over the last few years. And it wasn't, it was never meant to be a record like this anyway. It was meant to be an interim before the, the Raven Eye album. Um, yeah. But as things get pushed back and I think obviously when lockdown happened, that stopped all our touring as well. I was like, well, I'm going to put more time into it. And it just started coming together and shaping a completely different record and, my friend Wayne Proctor, him and I pretty much worked exclusively on this album and just together. And he's a been a big part of pushing me to get this record out and getting kind of the lyrics out. So it's a really lyrically is a really personal record. It does feel a bit exposing in a way. But I was like, oh fuck it, I'm going to embrace it. And it's something that I really I'm excited about because it it does feel very you know personal. And I'm you know it. And I didn't want it to be Ollie Brown. I couldn't have it just have my name because I don't want it to be confused with, you know, bluesy funk songs. And not that I have anything against them, but it's a completely different product and entity. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Wise move. But the personal side of things, the songs are brilliant. The personal, you. you could just tell it's, it's come from a, a, a deep place. Um, and I'm I'm hearing you, dude, in a, in a different way. Like, yeah. Um... <laughs> Honestly, I, I am like, I, and I don't know whether it's because you know what it's like, bud, right? You know, we've been lucky now. We've done our third album with this band. We've done albums before the Crows and stuff. So when you create music, sometimes it's quite hard to be a listener and just a listener. You are listening yeah. for because you know the game, you know the process, you know what you know, you know what it takes. So sometimes it's quite difficult to just sit back and listen to a song for what it is. Um, but there's a couple of tracks, and I, I'm really itching to tell you which ones. Perhaps I'll tell you off air. <laughs> um, we can't mention more songs, but um, there's a couple on there, but that are really like hit me there because it was yeah, it's, it resonates from like when we did Punk No Return and the place I was in and Punk No Return and stuff. So, but that really came to the forefront. Really came. Um, to the forefront. I mean, I'm not I'm not private about it. like I'm happy to. I know you, I, obviously the song names mean nothing for anyone else. <laughs> That's yeah, the yeah. Only thing, isn't it? <laughs> They're like, what does that mean? <laughs> but yeah. uh, I appreciate like yeah. I'm, I, it is like and some, one of the songs in particular is from way back when, but yeah, I'm just, I'm excited about it. I'm haunted the, the track that I do offer a teaser one was really the pinnacle track for me. That was, I, I, I was trying to figure out the release plan and figure out at this point where kind of find the right kind of team behind it really. So that's what I'm just discussing with right now and figuring out the right direction for it. Cause it's, that I'd like to be the leading track because it's a huge, that's what really sparked off the whole thing. And made me realize that I want to commit more into this band and give it a lot more. So what, well, that was the first song you, you wrote? No, it was, um, they've all come at like different timelines, but that was the first song that made me realize that it's more than just a side project. It's, this is a, this is a full-time thing. Sure. Yeah. Cause you put a snippet up. Um, mm. It would have been during COVID at some point where I think you were recording Haunted um yeah. i could just you shane i'll tell you I, I love melody lines and stuff and i just knew on that snippet and i'll find it on your socials and screenshot it to you but you only put up a little clip of like oh, i'm in a studio or this has come in and i kind of thought it was to do a raven eye if i'm honest and i was just like fuck that sounds that sounds mm. huge like like movie soundtrack vibe 
Um, and I could just hear the melodies in it, like, you know, so oh, now we're lucky enough, like, like you put the teaser up for everybody who's watching this. Um, so they've got like a full, fuller version of like, of the melody. Um, and we've had the full, you know, behind the scenes, look at it. It's incredible. And anybody watching this, anybody listening to it at a later date, it's definitely worth getting behind. Like, you know, so I, I genuinely, I think you've got to get the right team. Like you said, get everybody in place, get it. Get it all right um, because it's worth it, dude. Same as what Shane said. I think you've got a banger. It's 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 killer, like you know. So no, I'm a fan oh, of it. Thanks. Definitely, <laughs> it's been really fun to do. Like it's been it, completely unexpected, but I think it quite it felt natural at the time just to keep writing it. And my, like I said, my friend Wayne. I think if it wasn't for his support, I wouldn't have followed through with it all. But he was kind of really helped me out of a space and just said like, you know, get this out. Like keep pushing it and. You know, he worked, you know, my ass off, I think, when I was a bit more stubborn about it. And, you know, we've also worked with a string player to do it. We've got a full string version of this song, Haunted, as well. But it's all, like, Sweet. it's frustrating for me because I'm just ready to put it out. But, obviously, there's no... Um, uh, without, I think without a proper plan for it and without a tour, it's such a risky territory to do to start putting stuff out because you feel like the music's already burnt out before you've had a chance to tour it, as, you know, yeah. you, know you guys know. Yeah. I, I love it, honestly. I, I just maybe you should come back when it comes out then, so I can really get into depth with you and talk to you about it. I just, just want to plow into three songs on the record straight away, like. But um, yeah, we'll we'll do it again. But be be super proud of it, bro. I'll get it out Thank as you. soon as possible. But as you said, it's got to be right because, uh, like yeah. Ron said, it deserves it, bro. But like the recording oh, process for this though, bud, is completely different to Raven Eye, like what you've done in the past and. Yeah, so um well this this one is produced produced and mixed by myself and um my friend Wayne as well. Like we record it at a place called Superfly Studios up in Ollerton. Right. And it's it's a wicked space. It's like a small like wooden room with brick walls and then he's just got the most ridiculous gear in his studio and at that point when I was finishing off the record I was living with Wayne and kind of just that's where they, you know, he was kind enough to give give me a house and a place to stay. So I stayed with him for the period of time. We're like, right, let, we've got this studio. Let's get this done. So it was all very separate. Like, we, uh, my demos, I go into full detail. I can't really just record into a studio without going to like full on production. I love having the whole vision now. So what ends up being in the demo ends up being, you know, fifty percent of the song. Like all the weird sounds you get carried away, and when you're a bit, you know got that kind of weirdness going in your head you're like i need to record some more stuff yeah but um so it's all is all in there and we had a couple of bass players one of the songs the leading track is um me on bass as well because it ended up being an sg with an octave down instead of a real bass guitar because nothing really worked like the bass didn't work and it was this demo sound that we're like oh it's too good to not have but it was fun usually i'd work with a producer that's separate because i like the idea of someone else having a better grasp of music without being objective about like you know personal about it they've got better objectivity and mm -hmm. i totally appreciate that um but i think at this point in time because it was so personal and because i spent a lot of time producing other people and mixing other people i just i wanted to do this one very very differently and i know my friend my proctor like i know he knows me and i feel very safe and comfortable in that environment that you know we're on the same wavelength from being creative that I can go, right, I'm thinking this and we can kind of craft it together. So it was a really, uh, a really easy approach because there isn't the pressure of another producer that you just don't know. And you kind of work in the, you know, the relationship out. It's very honest and just meant that the music is always being served rather than anyone's personal opinions. It's the most important thing I think when you're writing a song and recording it. Yeah. 100%. So is it just guitar? I'm going to go back and listen to that track now and, and listen out for that SG bass. But um, is it, is it just guitars you played on it, bed? Or? Um, yeah, guitars. I play the Moog as well. I, I can't actually play a piano. So like all, all I do is I have to draw everything out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like when yeah. you do the MIDI, I've just got a pencil and I'm drawing it out. So I do all the stuff. I'm, but I've got this amazing Moog Minotaur unit, which is just just beastie low end vibes so i do i write a lot of the bass parts and just do like passes where i'll record everything in and so it's, yeah. it's me, just me on guitar and bass on one track and then me doing all the harmonies and getting a bit carried away as you know as much as i can because i'm like well 
you know, I want to quad track every BV, every harmony I can. That's exactly me. There was um, there was a unit up in Rockfield. The Shiner keeps to this day calls me a nickname. Um, oh, well, I've forgotten it now. Har- Harmonizer three thousand was it? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Harmonizer three thousand. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. That was my nickname because that's what I want to do. I just want to put harmonies on everything, like so. Oh but, man, um, me too. I, I I can't honestly, I can't get enough of them. I hear them all the time. Like I need to put them down at least just to hear it for my own yeah. satisfaction. Then I'll delete them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it must be a singer thing. <laughs> but we did. Yeah, the last record we recorded with Raven, I was actually um, at Mono Valley, so mm. it wasn't that far away from uh, Rothfield. So wicked. I mean, a wicked space, an amazing studio. But, yeah, but so... I've never, I've never been in Mono. Have you been in Mono, Ron? Yes, I have a couple of times. It's, um, I'm sure that's where, because Oasis recorded there, didn't they? Uh, yeah, that's they the, did. Yeah, picture of the the album cover is the Doors, like that's right, the, yeah. the legendary yeah, Doors, the massive yeah. Doors. <laughs> they are as yeah. heavy as they look as well. That's the bad <laughs> thing about those studios because I'd probably say to you, oh, I think I recorded there, like. I think it would have been 2007 or we, we went there 2007 but it probably hasn't changed no from <laughs> the looks of it hadn't. yeah with, with those kind of studios they like they keep to the core like you know what i mean of um because like rockfield we went to rockfield and we Amazing. were hearing the stories back and forth and obviously other mm. two brothers had both studios etc um and i said to somebody about rockfield i was only a couple of months ago and they said I rec- recorded in Rockfield in the early nineties. Probably didn't change, and it hadn't. It as he described <laughs> it to, to like me, it was like everything was pretty much as it was. Like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it is, what, I think it is the thing with those. They're just like the longer they leave them, like the more mojo they have, or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when we walked through Rockfield, you probably felt the same with Mono Valley. The um, when you start getting the history, it just vibes you up. It's the it's the building and who's been there and you, you just start to kind of embrace that. Then you like, you know? Yeah, you do. And, and I, like, the magic was amazing. Like, I, I have to say in terms of, I think attention to detail, I think I spent more time on that in Superfly in the smallest year where there's a bit less of like merger where you feel like you're creating more because you haven't got that extra, I don't know what it is around you, but there is something about those places that are super old that have had like icons recording. You just kind of, I think in your head, you start going, Oh, they'd probably use this cable, this microphone to do this. And there is something, it's not tangible. It's just such a, an energy thing that, that those studios have when you live in them and you feel like you're being just ultimately creative and like honoring your art entirely by living and breathing the, the you know, the studio for a good couple of weeks. Exactly. It's exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah, yet again, I remember on the socials because you were you were recording animals, um, yes. which I know is still still available at the moment on um, Spotify, etc. So that that was the vibe. The whole record was recorded at Mono Valley, was it? Yeah, and and with two drum kits as well. So animals, we recorded two drum kits for that one. So on the front end sound, it's a super dry, all ribbon mics, kind of like ambient vibes, but just to give the kit like a really kind of particular sound that's a little bit uglier. So we have this real tight, kind of almost like songs to the deaf kind of vibe. You know, imagine the yeah. cymbals are all off. And then the full-on rock kit is what takes on like the verses and the choruses. I think it was something that I really wanted to dig in more with by having like the two kits, having something really dry and having something really rock. So we can play around with it because you can, you, you know, you don't have to worry about recreating this stuff live. So I love the idea that, you know, we offer as many different kind of soundscapes and sonic interests throughout a record to really kind of keep you engaged without sounding like you're kind of throwing everyone around. Like, you know, you've got the heads in a bag and you're swinging them around, but like, it's fun. That was something I really loved about Mono Valley was having those two spaces to go, should we just try the other kit and do that verse on, you know, the other kit and working it all out. I mean, mixing it was a a pain in the ass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At that point I was like, we we shouldn't have done two kits because mixing it was a real ball. (laughs) Yeah. That would be the next question. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what, what inspired you to do that because i've never heard of that before unless somebody is kind of a well-known trick or yeah you know i, I think it was the, there's two different sounds there's a band that we were really falling in love with at the time there's a band called uh death from above and they had a record called outrages now that came out yeah yeah it's my man one of my favorite sounding rock records like modern rock records eric valentine produced it and mixed it and it's just uh, just incredible and and they had that real dry wooden drum kit sound but it's you, you find out they actually recorded recorded it where songs to the deaf was recorded 
and they did the same trick, no cymbals on the drums. And you're like, oh, okay, this is why I'm falling in love with this drum sound because it's pretty much the same approach. And I think that's why really we wanted to do the super dry drum kit, the separate kind of sound to kind of honor that, but also just to kind of just just because like we wanted to have that but not be too dominated by it and too too kind of under the thumb of it because it can be limiting in terms of a mixed point of view. I think we wanted to offer a bit more of the full-on, you know, rock drums, every mic everywhere on every skin, yeah, yeah, yeah. upside down <laughs> and behind your heads. And, you know, I think <laughs> that's what we really wanted to have available too as well. So it, I think when, when that space and because there's like that Neve desk has like a million channels, we could use yeah. every microphone at that time. And our engineer, Warren Riker, he's a, he's really good at using as many channels as possible in every different mic position and somehow still magically get everything perfectly in phase. And it, we just ex- explored with it. And it, I think the input of that record for us wanting to take our own approach of still wanting the big, you know, full on rock vibe. That's a bit more open and, you know, bigger room sounding than too claustrophobic. Cause I think sometimes the, the dry drum kit sounds as great as they are. They can, feel a little bit claustrophobic sometimes and you miss that just that air and the, the weight of the drums really exploding mm. yeah we we learned that off the first record um there was a drummer who kind of produced us or produced some of the songs and um he he, he taught us initially in rockfield he opened the door like three quarters of the way had microphones in the corridor um sorry for anybody watching this really geeky talk but it is cool and interesting it's like behind the records and um mm. and yeah the, the amount of mics that were spread out in the room but then fast forward to when we did the second record with like Colin Richardson and Chris Clancy, that was a different experience again. Cause I think I've got a shot somewhere where I was like, fuck, how many mics have they got on my kick? Cause it was like, you could just see like them embedded inside um, in like yeah. spider web. There was another one. There was another one, like three oh, foot wicked. off. There was, it was just incredible. Like, like you said, just that, that eye for attention of we're going to put mics everywhere right under the symbols, absolutely everywhere. And, oh yeah it did create that, you know, that I think it gives you, it gives you so many options for a mix as well, because it means that, you know, when, when you're doing verses, like you, you don't want the full sound and like having those different options to really create different soundscapes between songs. I think, I think I really like rock when it doesn't feel too, too squashed. I think, you know, I like it when there's that, there's a room for things to, to move a lot more and having those options, it's, Sometimes you end up deleting a load of them. You're like, ah, you know, it looks cool for mm. the photos, but, you know, maybe I don't need those mics. <laughs> but yeah. it's so nice to offer those and do, you know, doing fucked up shit with some of the mics so you've got a real cool ambient soundscape for certain sections. And it just, it gives you more to play with. I, 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 the more mics, the better for me. I, I like the idea that, you know, you've got options to really offer, you know, width and stereo. So, you know, maybe your verses not all the mics are being used. You've got something a bit more narrow, but then when those choruses come in, everything just feels like it's blooming. And, you know, it's super nerdy for everyone if they're not interested in mixing. <laughs> but, like, I completely get off, and, you know, that, that energy and feeling the energy of the chorus is lift, you know, lift. I think, you know, I think your guys' record is a perfect example of that one. Like, you've got that, that mega rock sound without it going, you know, on the squishier side of life where you feel like everything's too contained yeah. and, you know, and too plasticky. And I, I do think that, I think I don't know who started that trend, but it feels like that seems to be the trend at the moment to kind of go around that kind of more like a plasticky vibe and, and losing some of that openness. And I think, you know, what you guys have done with, you know, point no return is like, it's just, it's open, it's big and it's exciting the whole way through. And you feel like you get those dynamics a lot, which is, you know, fair play to you lads. It's wicked. But funny enough, I think that's what Shane was on about yesterday. It's evolving with um, with obviously album three, but it's not not losing that DNA. And that was a really good way he explained it to us. It's like you know, it's just remembering what you've done. How do you move on and make it even bigger and better? Or how do you you know? It, it's not even the term better. It's different. Um, yeah. You know, because you don't want to say better, but you do want to evolve and be better musicians, better songwriters. Um, but then you do need these tricks of the trade and stuff like that. Did you enjoy producing it more yourself? Um, like, because you could kind of do or go off into your, your, like Mad World and, and add what you wanted? Or did you miss that uh, producer vibe of saying, oh, no, we're not doing that? And then you're like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love it. I, I love getting inside music and I love... I just... I think there's so much, like, especially when you start breaking down, like when you hear like the the 
the big bands. I mean, like super unknown for me is is my mm. early grail of like attention to detail. If you break down every song and listen to the detail, there's a reason those albums are as iconic as they are. Mm. And it's not from just putting a band in a room, hitting record. I mean, you know, some bands do it. Rage Against the Machine and managed to just nail that band in a room, hit record, <laughs> and it's perfect. But the super unknown, it, like I love that detail. What gets me excited? So I, I think I go more and more into it more into production and i'm doing a lot more production at the moment with wayne actually in the studio and we're working with more artists as it's just i think what's nice is seeing someone else's vision of a song or a sound and then kind of helping it become you know more complete or helping kind of offer a different perspective and being able to kind of provide it and I, there's a payoff in it i think it's so satisfying when you help someone else's art or and and they turn around and go Fuck, you know, to their own music, and you're like, yeah, okay, wicked. Yeah. I feel so happy about this. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can. Yeah, I'm with you there, bud. Because when I've done that with other bands as well, when when you suggest something, and then you can see their mind, you can see it literally go oh, shit. And then what they tend to do is take it somewhere else in their personality or their characteristic, and then you're chuffed as hell. Do you know what I mean? But that, that you've got to yeah. plant the seed first in order for them to get there, and then that door opens and I love that shit. That's, yeah. that's what creative is all about. And I'd imagine, you know, I, I am, I would rather be in a studio for a month and for three weeks mess around with creating effects of, or, or sounds and stuff. And then just nail it in a week. Do you know what I mean? Rather than having yeah. four weeks, just doing the same stuff and not really being creative. You're supposed to stop, have a listen. Can we make that better? Oh, what about this? And then, like you said, it could be absolute garbage, but you got to go there <laughs> yeah. To, get, yeah. to go through the shit, to get to the good stuff. Um, that, that's what happened with the Dead Collective music. It was originally, it was, it was finished, like, towards the end of, like, halfway the last year, and I sat with it, had listened to it, and I was like, okay, yeah, this feels complete. And then I was like, we sat down again because we had time, obviously having the studio, and we're like, hold on, no, 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 this is missing mm. so much. And went in and booked like, you know, it was probably another week and a half or two just on overdubs, just sounds, soundscapes, atmospheres, yep. you know, screaming into a mic or hitting shit and just trying to like, I feel like, you know, is there, is there enough melody in the section or does there need to be sustain or new elements so that you feel like each section progresses in, you know, in some kind of way or, you know, yeah. offer something new that, you know, gets you excited as well as hopefully gets other people excited. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I agree with what Shane just said as well. Because when we when we were doing the latest record, um, we did like a pre-production in a in a studio called Giant Wafer, and mm. we just got away as a band and just spent like a week there. Um, wow. It was just great, man, of like having the studio to yourself, um, having way too much gear and no idea for someone like me, and like <laughs> laughing at laughing at the desk at like one two in the morning because you you go in can we try this idea? And we had the attitude, didn't we, Shane? We were just like, fuck, I just try everything. Um, yeah. And it's that. That is why I think, like, for me lately, that music's become even more fun again because we're, like, we're trying everything. If it sounds ridiculous or you wake up in the morning, you've had a few red wines and you're like, what were we doing at three in the morning? Because we were, we were going to bed at three in the morning, back up early, jamming. Um, oh, let's just record that. Now let's layer it. Okay. Let's, let's like spend time. And these are just demos, but it was just like, it was that fun, that, that spending time in the studio, not rushed. Um, and then yeah. I, that's why I agree with Shane. I think like that's missed these days where bands used to spend a lot more time in a studio. That's where the real, I think that's where the real songs came from. Like, you know, cause you yeah. might've been hungover and somebody's kind of writing a, a sad song because they're feeling quite a worse for me. That's the shit that counts, like, you know? So when now it's kind of that in in and out, you know, attitude, isn't it? Like, you know, well, you've got yeah. three weeks to, to record a record. That's got to be out next week. Um, <laughs> and another point, like being the producer of your own stuff, sometimes that, or uh, perhaps I'm saying the wrong thing here, but sometimes you're producers who've got that mentality too. You know, they're waiting for the next band to come in, use your slot. They, I ain't got time for you to fuck about. Get in. Or they want the paycheck. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, not having a producer sometimes, don't get me wrong, producers are worth the weight in gold, the good ones, right? Because they'll, they'll make your music fucking do that. But sometimes they do stop the process that you organically need sometimes you know it may not be gold every time you open your mouth or, or 
play on the guitar. Yeah. You, you got to go through those stages to get to it. So yeah, man. And it's a it's a balance of them because you know producers can either become you know they, it can almost turn into a dictatorship if they're not if they're just telling you what to do and oh. not letting you. And I think you mentioned it earlier where it's like you want to plant the seed of an idea but encourage them to take it to their own. Exactly. But if you're going if you're just saying no, play this you're not producing anymore you're just dictating and you're not yeah. actually getting you're not representing the artist letting them represent themselves and it's it's huge yeah. and you're, you're totally right like you want the producers that you know do that as an artist and that's why you know some producers work with some bands and and don't with others because you know the relationships they build because it's you know most of it same with the band it's it's down to a good relationship and you know good energy and chemistry and i think it's the same goes with a producer as well yeah 100 percent, bro totally Absolutely. Um, when you said earlier, I got I got to kind of go back in the conversation. You spent time in Canada. You came home, did the jam nights and stuff. When when did Raven I start? Because like I'm being honest, I heard of you guys. I think on your run of Nova. Um, oh yeah. And I came to watch you down in Cardiff. You were playing the Globe, and then I started looking into more. And then it was like. Sorry to it. I remember that night vividly because Ronnie rang me straight after that <laughs> show. He's like, dude, there's a singer guitarist <laughs> on, <laughs> on the shoulders of a bass player in the fucking <laughs> crowd. Honestly, that, I remember that phone call vividly. He's like, dude, they're fucking brilliant. Yeah. So that's when no, there we go. I got it. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. And that's the truth, I think, as well. That night, you were you were out the front, which was cool. Adam had run off the drums, gone on to one speaker. Um, Aaron had run over to the other speaker. Um, and it was just like, fuck, this is this is proper, like, do you know I mean? Which is good, because, like, you know, it's like when you're in bands, I, I, like, a phone chain straight away, because I'm there going, fuck, this is, this is wicked, this is a proper gig, like. Um, I'm like, we, we got to go fucking even more, we got to level up again, like, as in, we just got to lose our shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was great dude and, and the sound as well I said to Shane um, we were talking about it earlier for a three piece band um, you fill the stage with your sound which that, that impressed me because oh, okay. I've said it about certain three piece bands if they can really fill that stage where it doesn't go to the guitarist and you know this vibe now because like knowing your pedigree it'd be so easy for you to go into your lead guitar in and then that goes very thin um, yeah. and then you, you hear the, the bass just kind of plodding in the background, the drums become a bit more prominent and it just all goes to that lead riff. But with you guys, what, what I loved was you would do that, you would do like your, your, your licks and stuff, but then you filled it with the bass, which sounded like a guitar as well, which obviously I found out the trick afterwards because I had to ask every fucker, I was like, how have they done that? And I, I think I spoke to Adam afterwards. I was like, you sound like a, a four-piece band, but there's three of you. My ears, <laughs> it's, it was wizardry-like, do you know what I mean? I was like, that's wicked. And then he was explaining like how you set the amps up and how you got your sound, which is yet again, it's the knowledge because that's that's a good band who, you know, you, you work on your sound. Shane said it for years, you know, how can we make that sound bigger? All right, we've got a third guitar maybe, but then how can we, how can we make that, that rise? Like, you know, and I, I was just so impressed that evening. So I was a late follower, long, long rambling. No, um, that, that's pretty. Definitely <laughs> sold like on that gig. It was like, and oh, for me, I think you. I did it the best way round, bro. Cause I went to watch, um, scam who was supporting you. Oh yeah. Like, discovered you guys where i was like fuck this is great crazy and then obviously i'd, I'd went backwards and listened to um your first records um breaking out and then it was obviously nova then um yeah. so i was like this is brill like you know so how oh, did man, that I start think... with raven i do sorry i went on a ramble of love then like but <laughs> no i love i mean i'm not gonna complain to ramble of love it's great <laughs> 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 um it it really it came it came from like the, the kind of my ante of like i wanted to change everything and start i think i started writing music and the first song that i wrote for raven i just made me realize i should start raven i was a song called breaking out and um i wasn't actually going to record it i remember i was in the studio with um at the time was recording a blues album actually and i remember saying in the, in the studio i was like i don't want to record breaking out because the song just feels too heavy and it's going to be wrong and they were like just just record it, get it done. And then when I got home, uh, when, when I moved back to the UK, um, 
I realized that I need to dig in further with this. I think I realized that this, there's something I, I want to do now. And I was tired of being a solo artist. I really wanted to have a band of brothers. I wanted to, you know, not feel, I guess, so isolated um, from, you know, the scene. I feel like as great as is having session players, you can, you know, it's so different. It's, it's so different because, you know, understandably that, you know, they're doing a job and I like the idea of creating a band of brothers and doing something where it feels is more about a brand than a person than a person. Sure. And then that's when I started like, dude, I, I spent countless nights trying to graph the tone. So I'd like have loads of diagrams of like how my pedal board setup is going to work and how the bass side is going to work. Cause I wanted to make sure the bass player could run through guitar amps as well as a bass amp. So I started like making lists of pedals and trying to just figure it all out so we could have this full sound. Cause like, if we're going to do a rock band as a three piece and go this heavy, we need to be loud <laughs> yeah. and and have as you know much much stuff as we could so i run two rigs with a complete different line different lines for each other so they could you know one was just like the noise machine where it had all the fuzz and the octaves and the other one was on a separate output to do choruses and come on on choruses to add the brightness back in and so nothing got too lost but i like i love hearing that about the sound because it was just something that i just spent a lot of time trying to graph the bass player and organize all those pedals to kind of have the sound that I was like, okay, now, now your bass sounds more like a guitar, which is great. So let's use that for choruses and brought him in to kind of sound as thick as possible and sound like the fourth, you know, the, the other guitarist essentially. Well, yeah. the, the truth is that's how we started. We were like a three piece musically, um, but we just couldn't grasp of like what you've done by there. And then luckily enough, we, we've, we've had a Dave now, which is brilliant. So, <laughs> and then, cause it does, it elevates the band and it's that band of brothers thing. It made the band even better yeah. again. Um, and now even to the point where Shane plays guitar again, cause what, another thing I liked about watching that show with you guys is, um, you switch the mood. So one minute you smash no faces in and it's, it's like, I'm in a rock and roll show. This is great. Then you would switch the acoustic. And I was like, this is wicked because obviously this was um, something that we'd been working on in the background, Shane been doing piano um, and then obviously the acoustic, which we play now and stuff. And there's not many bands that you see do that. And we always reference that, which actually put on a, a show, you know what I mean? Where it's not yeah. just like an hour of, you know, face melt. Or the, <laughs> there's just the one ballad and that's all you're having. You actually go on a journey um which is really delightful like do you know what i mean especially if you're a muso oh. as well and you kind of like all those textures of a of a rock and roll show like you know so well, it, it it makes stuff sound bigger again it's like all the riffs get heavier if you've got light and shade with it like you know like mm -hmm. i think you need those moments in your show to really pull people back in and especially with you know the lyrics that you're writing as well they're they're really personal lyrics they you know they you know and especially when you can do songs like you know kingdom of dust acoustically as well like mm -hmm. all of a sudden you can I think because the lyrics are important for you guys, like you, you get to hear that contrast. You get to hear, yeah. oh shit, it's not just about riffs. There's, if I want to dig deep, I can go into these lyrics and I can really actually treat this a completely different show. And, and you know, that's you know the great thing about you guys and what you do as well. Like you've got such a all the weight, but then just the dynamic. And you know, watching you guys at Rockstock was incredibly emotional. It was it was wicked because I saw you guys. Um, Supporting um, the Wild Hearts in Sheffield as well. Oh, oh um, wow! When you come and yeah. see him, yeah, <laughs> man, <laughs> that's such a shame. Like, yeah, we would have caught up with you. And by oh, the way, was... that was a real fucking nightmare show as well for us. Oh. <laughs> <That> was, like, <laughs> the loadout looked like a nightmare. <laughs> oh man, honestly, I, I swear to you, and it's not like I'm just saying it. The the first band on. They had an absolute mare of feedback. You probably heard it. A poor yeah, buggers. Yeah. Like, it was like the most yeah. awful sound. We'd found out that the guy on the desk, we didn't have a monitor guy or anything because um, we were on a support tour. The guy on the desk was his first night there, weren't it, Shane? So he had, like, he hadn't wired everything up properly. So I get on the drums, hit the four, bam, bam, bam. And I'm like, I can't hear nothing. Um, oh, no. And then he's going, hey, right. And I, I can hear like the, like, <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I've just got front of house. That's all I've got is front of house. So for, I think three quarters of the set, it was from my point of view, it was front of the house. Uh, that's the only bearing I had on like anything. Oh man. Do you know what I mean? So you sounded fucking great. <laughs> we blagged it like um, wedges weren't working. Um, it was just the most nightmare show that I asked, <laughs> you were there like, it's like, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we came uh, off. I, I don't know if you boys used to do. We came off. We're like packing out stuff. We seem like super aggressive because we're all like, fucking hell, I could have gone much better. <laughs> shit, <yeah. laughs> it's the rage pack when you just want to get the fucking, like, just. Oh. Yeah, it looked like a like, pain in the ass to load out. Yeah, and you know everybody's there and they're enjoying it, but you want it to be you want it to be the best it can be, like you know. So always, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then and then obviously watching you guys at Rockstock was just wicked. I mean, seeing the two things. One, firstly, Sheffield, you guys fucking killed it. It sounded amazing. So from an audience point of view, like if there's any peace of mind, you sounded fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> but then Rockstock, it was that was just a mega show. Like I think it's always weird at the moment seeing gigs still because it still feels a bit like you know dream dream really to yeah. see people you know gathering again and talking and you know at that point i think you know my partner and I were, were fucking exhausted because we were selling um selling our jewelry at that point and we we're doing it every day from like nine till we're like we want everyone to buy something so we just stayed till like 2 a.m like till the last people so like you guys are the last ones, and I think we're all a bit spun out. So watching it, we're like, oh, my God. Like, what's happening? Like, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then there you are, like, running through the crowd. Like, you know, and everyone's yeah. screaming, like, this is amazing. You know, proper, like, off our faces, like, on overtired. It was proper spectacular show. Like, the energy was just, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing wow, watching you guys, you know, play and put on, like, I think seeing you guys put on your own show. The sports, sports are wicked, but when you see a band headline and do their own, gig it's a different energy and you know it carries itself so differently and it was just yeah just spectacular thank you bro that's lovely that's fucking amazing well we're on point with it tell us a bit about black feather bro uh how did it come (laughs) about and yeah it came it came when lockdown kind of happened and i realized that touring wasn't going to be happening for a long time and uh you know there was no finances and i've always had a passion for jewelry and i was like well maybe there's something i can do in this and I opened up a shop for a bit of just to kind of curiosity really on Etsy at first and just started looking at pieces that I liked and started, you know, working on Photoshop and trying to do rough sketches of pieces and working with a manufacturer. Actually, I spoke to them and said, look, you know, I'm intrigued about creating pieces of jewelry. Like, is this something that you can do? And they said, they started sending me 3d scans of designs that I made. And I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And I wanted to see if it worked. And then at first it was really quiet on the store. I was like, okay, this is a good little side project and it's working out quite nicely. And then it just started doing really well. And to the point that it's kind of changed, changed things for me a little bit and just my perspective to make sure I can balance it. And, um, but it's now up to, I think we're now at 9,000 sales from opening in January last wow. year. Wow. And yeah, honestly, it's uh, Christmas was the most stressful like i love christmas this year i no last year i did not like christmas at all the antsy people get antsy and impatient they think we're amazon prime or something i'm like fucking hell i've literally just packed this and it's gonna arrive in two days but they're like you know amazon spoil everyone isn't it but that's right we were getting we were getting about 60 to 80 orders a day on christmas and it's i'm still working on loads of designs but i just i love it and it's been wicked to be kind of doing rock and roll turn to jewelry and I'm working on doing unique pieces for well, actually bands now as well. So I'm kind of working on sketches and doing things to like offer something unique for bands, for fans. Cause some people want to get something that represents a band that isn't just, you know, necessarily a t-shirt or something. And yeah. that's what I've been really digging into. So we're just moving into an office space now to take care of it. Cause it's been, we've been packing in, in a flat with a, you know, a staffy who's got, you know, the massive brick head knocking everything over. So we were like, right, we need to maybe <laughs> move locations. So it's, but it's been a wicked man. I, I, I lockdown was scary because obviously my time is in music and that all stopped and finances are just not there. And I started looking at doing other things as well. And I started looking at doing, you know, guitar tribe, which is an educational thing for guitar. And at that point, I think, I was struggling, uh, just struggling with the whole concept of the lot, the lockdown and like not touring. And then I think at that point, my mental health completely deteriorated and I just kind of had to just shut down and stop. But then at that point, finances or anything dried up and I wanted to do something that was a way for music and didn't, f- I didn't feel like I had to, you know, it had to be on a scale of music and it just completely by chance, it just 
seemed to work and you know i've moved on to a website now and have a better platform for the whole all my jewelry and you know I'm, like i said i've still got loads of designs that i'm working on so it's been yeah it's it's nice to have and it's great that i've got something that can you know help support me while i'm kind of digging back into the music and i don't feel as terrified if we go into you know lockdown yeah. all over again <laughs> yeah yeah well there's a website go check it out as you saw some wicked stuff i'm i'm a big fan dude that's some really oh, nice stuff, eh? <laughs> really nice stuff. yeah it's been it's oh it's wicked i, I love it and you know it's it's great because i get to you know wear my own pieces and represent a bit so it's like oh you know, i might as well represent <laughs> today <Yeah. laughs> no i love it dude it's, it's really pro um like I said, I, I spoke to you on email earlier. There was a bit of confusion. I didn't know whether, because your partner's got a jewellery company as well. Um, but somebody had pointed it out to me, and I was like, wow, that's incredible, considering, like you said, you put it together in, in lockdown. Um, and you said earlier in the conversation you were always into art, etc. So I think it's cool to channel those, uh, those creative waves, like, you know, so... Yeah, it was super fun. Like, I think that's the thing. I It just kind of going into place yeah i think you um we saw it actually when uh, hannah and i were talked about it because we saw the order come in and we were like huxford huxford we know this name we know <laughs> this name like and we're like oh fuck it out that's really cool that you ordered something so yeah because yeah. <laughs> that was hannah for pretty witchy she does like all witchy jewelry and it's yeah she's wicked well my missus i remember she's seen the stall at rockstock like you said and she was on about it and then she said your name um and obviously she said your partner and i was like nah man he's like he's he's in abandoned stuff and and then when i obviously looked into it, i was like ah cool as fuck so yeah it's absolutely brilliant and i'd urge anybody to keep ollie busy and order order <laughs> lords make it be a second christmas now you'd be like fucking crumbs can't get out the flat jesus christ uh, definitely check that out um before we lose you as well dude i started touching on it earlier i said about nova um that was the wreck where we discovered you. Um, and obviously, I started looking through everything when I discovered your band and so did w the, the boys. And we just noticed the killer shows you were playing, um, which are phenomenal. You went on tour with Kiss. Yes. Or you did dates yeah. with Kiss. I was like looking through and I, I could see Kiss. Bush, who was a, a favorite of ours growing up. Um, oh, what was that like, man? It, oh, ridiculous. Uh, it was just... The it's surreal uh, definitely a learning curve like playing in kind of rooms that big um but it was just mind-blowing they were wicked like all the crew everyone took such good care of us and the whole european leg was just surreal surreal to the least like yeah it just <laughs> mental crowds and mental reactions and it was yeah oh man it was it was just surreal i think to play those kind of crowds and i think it it gave us a lot of confidence to take our show to a smaller stage and go, right, let's take our, you know, arena thing. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, we play the big room. Let's take this to the the smaller gig. And we, we learned so much from it. Like they, it's, it's such a, it's so lovely when you tour those kind of bands or you tour with the headliner and they're just nothing but kind to you and make your life easy. And, you know, they were wicked. It was weird because at that point we went to in-ears as well because we had to because they didn't have any monsters on stage and, at that point, I, as a singer, I, I think as a singer, I didn't enjoy it as much as a gig because in ears are just. I know I need to. I know I need to use them, yeah. but man, do I hate them! <laughs> Stop it! That's like, oh man, I can't wait to have a beer with you. It's uh, it's like the talk <laughs> of our band at the moment. We've look, we've gone down the road and we've bought and we have great gear. We're very fortunate, but the rockers in us and the yeah that 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 old vibe of like we talked about earlier jam nights and stuff your years there or you're looking at someone yeah. for the nod yeah. um, it's just a bit weird when you stick something in there and it's it's great don't get me wrong and we've had gigs where i'm like wow it's really working for me but i swear halfway through the set that's why i kind of asked now can i have a wedge just in case yeah. oh the oh man and it's just like there it is. And then end of the yeah. night, you're like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But I, I can't, like, I don't know what it is. It's like, I think it's something weird about me singing then hearing my voice like that close to my ear. I feel like it's too personal. I'm like, yeah. I don't like, who's this guy like whispering in my ear all of a sudden? It yeah. just creeps me out. But yeah. you're right, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm exactly the same. It just sounds like you're singing inside your head. And it's, yeah. um, it's weird because... Uh, <laughs> because it's four of us. No, it's not. It's five of us. 
<laughs> um, the boys, obviously, the boys have got a mic apart from Shiner because they come in every now and again with chants and, and harmonies and stuff. And um, I, you, you can pick what you have in your ears, can't you? So, obviously, yeah. you know, you get a good, decent mix and then a lot of you, <laughs> you know, as a singer, <laughs> you, you know, get, but then. I didn't have the boys on a, on a couple of runs in my ear. So Dave was talking to me on his microphone, but but I can't hear him. I, so he's talking <laughs> the crowd and to me, and it looks like I'm just completely blanking him. <laughs> but, I, but I just can't hear him. So I realized... It was like, oh, they're falling out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh. Well, as, as the band had fallen out, I was like, no. But, oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's strange, but I'm, I'm... We're such... Well, you've been to a show, I think... All the, all the good bands, they're just so interactive with the crowd, and, and that just takes it a step away from the crowd. Where, if anything, I want to step into the crowd and be a part of it. So it is. Yeah. You are right. I, I I need to learn how to do it properly, but it does take something away from a live show. There's no there's no question. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think well the same. Like you don't really want to compromise the live show. No. And and you want to have fun doing it. Like it, it almost feels corporate. Like when I put my ears in and I feel like that, I feel like I'm all of a sudden should be like suited and booted and it doesn't feel yeah. Yeah. rough and rock and roll. And that's what, what we are and yeah, you know what we're going to be. And it's like, it's just, it's so disconnected. I know people say, put your ambient mics up and listen to them. And I'm like, yeah, it still sounds like shit. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not, I'm, doesn't make me feel any better around myself here. I'm yeah. hearing some ambient mics or, you know, you get someone eating a packet of crisps in the backstage. If you have it like, you know, in the back and they're like, well, this band's a bit shit, and you're like, "Fucking, I heard that." <laughs> I feel that shit about myself now. Oh, I haven't had that, but maybe I did. <laughs> fucking you, you. Yeah, yeah. I can roll back. I you. You know, it's just so true, man. Yeah. But I think every band's dream, especially when you start using them, is like if you could get to the budget where you got extra lorries to carry your big monitoring system round. Um, cause that's yeah. what it comes down to, unfortunately, like, you know, so I think for us personally, it's keep with it. Cause obviously we've got arena dates and stuff coming up and stuff. So, yeah. and then, you know, you never know, like eventually, like, you know, it, it might kind of all go to, to monitors and you're like, I'm sure they used to use in years. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh man, <laughs> you know. Ollie, brother, it's been an absolute class night talking with you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, your honesty and sharing all this stuff with us. Your new music sounds incredible. We can't wait for people to hear it. Where can we see Ollie, Ron? Let's get that poster back up. Ollie's first show. Yes, his first show. There it is. Nice. It's not long. It's I not... tell you what, if the schedule allows me, we'll be down there and we'll have a beer with you. Oh, 100%. Oh, that'd be yes. Just looking at that. that, that could work. We might come down, have a beer with you. That'd be fab, man. There we no, go, guys. It. No, I'd love that. April 8th, get your tickets. Go and see the Florence Boys and Ollie Brown and the Dead Collective. Amazing. Bro, thanks so much for joining us. Take care. We'll speak to you soon. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you so much, guys. I honestly can't thank you enough for this. It's, it means the world, and it's really great to actually talk with you guys and hang out. Appreciate it. Let's do it in real life with a couple of them as well. Yes. <laughs> Legend. Take care, Ollie. Catch you Take soon. Take it easy. Thank you all. Bye. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da.